with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo, as always, joined by Joe Racinello. And once more, dear brothers and sisters, let us go into the breach on the Veritas Catholic Radio Network. 1350 on your AM dial, 103.9 on your FM dial, spreading the truth of the Catholic faith to the New York City metropolitan area. As always, we ask you to download the app, the Veritas Catholic Radio Network mobile app, so that you have access to all of our station's content. And hey, if you like what Joe and I do, you can follow us on social media, primarily on YouTube at the Frontline with Joe and Joe. And now we have our, uh, we are on Twitter. I know that's kind of politically incorrect right now, but you can follow Joe and I on Twitter um, at at with Joe and Joe at with Joe and Joe, and follow us there. We'd love to have you. And today we are very pleased and honored to be joined by Father Ed Broom, and we're going to be talking about his new book that's out from Tan Books, Compendium of Marian Devotions, an encyclopedia of the Church's prayers, dogmas, devotions, sacramentals, and feasts honoring the Mother of God. Now, many of you out there, because he's widely known, know who Father Broom is. Having said that, I'm going to give our audience here at Veritas a brief introduction. Uh, Father Ed Broom, OMV, is a member of the Religious Order Oblates of the Virgin Mary, a priest, speaker, author, radio talk show host, and retreat master. He was ordained to the priesthood by... Uh, Pope St. John Paul II in St. Peter's Basilica on May 25, 1986. He serves as Associate Pastor of St. Peter Chanel Church in Hawaiian Gardens, California. Father Broom teaches Catholic Ignatian Marian spirituality through his homilies, classes, popular missions, retreats, podcasts, blog articles, live streaming of his videos, homilies, and classes on Facebook, a weekly radio show on Guadalupe Radio, and articles regularly published on Catholic Exchange. He has two published books, Humdrum to Holy and Total Consecration Through the Mysteries of the Rosary, Consecration to Jesus Through Mary, Father Ed Broom. I know that was a long bio. Welcome to the front line with Joe and Joe. Thank you, Joe. What a great introduction. I feel like you almost canonized me. <laughs> maybe one day. Maybe one day. Maybe That's one day. What I was thinking, Joe. Maybe one day. Um, Father, would you uh, would you lead us in a prayer, please? Yes. Hail Mary, full of grace. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy, Holy Mary, Mary, Mother of Mother God. Mother of God. Pray, pray for, for our sinners, sinners now, now and at the hour of our death. death. Amen. Glory be to the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. As it was, it was in, the beginning. in the beginning, is now, now and ever shall, shall be, world without end. Amen. Mary, Mother of God, pray for us. Pray for us. Amen. So I'm going to hand it over to Joe, Father, and we're going to have a lively conversation about Our Lady. Yes. Well, Father, we were talking earlier before the show, Father's in California, but he's a Jersey guy. So we got three Jersey guys talking here, so that's always an interesting conversation. Um, Father, this is one of my favorite conversations, talking about the Blessed Mother, because I think she is the answer to America's issues, problems, all our problems, because as my friend Larry Magoschetti once said, Jesus cannot refuse her. Jesus cannot refuse his mother, and that's why we go to her, um, because she intercedes for us with her son. Um, but ultimately, and I found this to be interesting in doing research for this interview, National Geographic in 2015 said that Our Lady is the most powerful woman in the world. Now, that's not too long ago. And National Geographic, I mean, it's not exactly, uh, you know. Catholic publication. Yeah, saying that is a bold <laughs> statement. 
talk to that for a moment because to be honest with you i also read when i was doing research for this that i think that she's been on time magazine the cover more than any other person it's either time or life but i mean this is so i think a lot of people don't overlook that talk about that a little bit because i think that's impressive that's right if you look at uh art and you look at museums you look at cathedrals you look at churches you look at poems you look at hymns all these mary is prominent in this not only in the united states or rome but through the whole world mary is so prominent and here in the united states of course we celebrate the feast day of the immaculate conception throughout the world of course but we have the prominent basilica of the immaculate conception in washington dc which is just a architectural masterpiece so it's true of all the women in the world no one goes beyond the the prominence the the knowledge of the person of the blessed virgin mary so uh yet given the case not only is she prominent but she's the holiest woman that ever exists we call her holy mary mother of god so getting to know mary love mary and as you're going to be pointing out probably as mary's never going to be blocking us from getting to know Christ but as St. Louis de Montfort says in True Devotion to Mary Mary is the quickest easiest most efficacious pathway to the heart of Christ so yes Mary is so prominent and I I feel so honored to be on your show both of you to be able to really talk about Mary and get Mary known and loved so I really feel so honored and I, re- I hope as a result of this program that we'll we'll touch many many listeners to get to know and love Mary more more on a daily no, basis I- Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, Father Ed Broom is joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe. We encourage everyone to go out and buy his new book, Compendium of Marian Devotions. It's an encyclopedia. It's got it's basically everything you want to know about Mary. Um, and that's out from 10 books. Please, if you're going to buy the book and we encourage you to do so, do so from the publisher, 10 books, because we want to support not only our Catholic authors, but also our Catholic public publishers. Father, I'm going to say something that I think is not controversial at all should not be uh it's a very simple again not simplistic but simple argument for our view of mary and this is my personal opinion i'm not saying this is the teaching of the church but let me preface it with this cathedrals have been built as you mentioned schools states cities religious orders bear her name apparitions you know, verified apparitions like mm-hmm. Fatima, okay, and miracles have been distributed uh, or, or attributed to her intercession. Yet our Protestant brothers and sisters, this is a major, major stumbling block for them, and they say things like, "Well, it's not in Scripture," and block because of the whole sola scriptura thing. And again, here's my simple argument: my view of Mary is scriptural because I look to Mary to get to Jesus because she's the one who says, "Do what He tells you." Leave aside everything else, whatever else we believe, okay? She simply says, which is, I think, the most profound thing, which is if you want eternal salvation, if you want true joy, do what he tells you. She points to him. Why do they have such a stumbling block when it's clear in Scripture, uh, even though Scripture doesn't back up all of our teachings on Mary, yet the foundation for how we view Mary is certainly in Scripture. And why do they have a hard time with us going to her when those at the wedding feast went to her to get to Jesus? Great comment. Um, I would almost say, Joe, that it would be almost diabolic because, as you said, 
you quoted, Mary speaks seven times in the Bible. And that's the last one, John chapter 2, verse 5. Do whatever he tells you. But there are other biblical verses too. If you go to Matthew chapter 1 and 2, and you go to Luke chapter 1 and 2, there you have, especially Luke chapter 1 and 2, you got the Annunciation, you got the Visitation, you got the birth of Jesus, you got the Presentation, you got the finding of the child Jesus in the Temple in chapter 1 and 2 of St. Luke. So, you know, sometimes, Joe's, uh, people can be selective listeners and selective uh, viewers. We, we hear what we want to hear. We see what we want to see. And sometimes we have these blind spots where we're, something is so obvious if the fact that you have those those prominent chapters in Luke 1 and 2, we have the five joyful mysteries, Mary prominently present there. Then you have John chapter 19, Mary's underneath the cross. Then you have Acts chapter 2, you've got Pentecost, which is technically the birthday of the church. Revelation 12, 1, a woman clothed with a son. I mean, the Catholic Church takes that as the, the, the fourth and fifth glorious mystery. And then we could even go into biblical typology that it have in the Bible. Mm-hmm. Mary's the Ark of the Covenant. Uh, Mary is the second Eve. If you have a really good understanding of Scripture, Mary's present either explicitly, implicitly, throughout the whole Bible. So I right. think I think that at times they're, they're selective viewers or listeners. And, and I don't say this too often, but I think the devil is sometimes behind that. The devil wants to block us for salvation. And as you said... Those words are Mary. Do whatever he tell you. It's the best advice in the whole world, really. The best advice. Right. And, and that's really, like, I look at it this way. Uh, and I'm going to hand it over to Joe. Um, but real quick, is that I don't want to win. I'm not interested in winning, winning an argument with our Protestant friends. I don't, I'm not interested in that. I'm not interested in saying, aha, we got you. And then mentioning all the scripture passage, passages that Father Ed Broom just mentioned. Okay, what I am interested in, and what we're all interested in, is eternal salvation. And the Catholic Church has a very clear understanding of how we should approach Mary. And I think that when we make the points that you just made, and what I see, not all, I want to be clear about that, from many, particularly, let's say, your more rabid evangelicals, they have almost a disdain for Mary. Like because because it seems like many times they they don't they they don't have a, a proper argument if you want to put it like that an argument uh, against Catholic teaching on Mary and they get outright angry and I'm like dude you're gonna have to sit in front of Jesus at some point and be judged and he's gonna say what did you say about my mother I mean, I think that way sometimes it's almost like a street thing what did you say about my mama um, a quick comment on that father and then we'll keep it moving I agree with you fully Joe. Um, I give the example of if I were to invite you and Joe to have a Christmas meal with my my mom and there there are nine of us we're a big family you know and my mom and dad has my dad has sorry about 39 grandchildren and if you talk to me my brothers and sisters and grandparents and grand my, my mom, mom's grandchildren but you ignored my mother that would be highly offensive to all of the Broom clan because we all love our mom. So I think that the, everyone can understand that. Everyone in the world wants the mother to be honored and respected, even more so with respect to Mary, the mother of God. And I like what you said, Joe. Whether we like it or not, 
we have the four last things. Death, judgment, heaven, and hell. They exist. It's called eschatology. Sooner or later, we're all going to die. We're going to be going through to the judgment seat of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And if we have rejected and despised his mother, I would be afraid on the judgment day. Because if you're rejecting the mother of Jesus, you can't go to heaven if you don't have this love and respect for the mother of Jesus. Therefore, I think the devil wants to block salvation by not simply ignoring Mary, but even having hostility toward the Blessed Virgin Mary. So, I, re I really like your point very much, and it's very down-to-earth what you're saying. We, we love our earthly mother. Shouldn't we love our heavenly mother? Well, that, and that's thing. I'm going to hand it over to Joe, and I think you used the right word. What I don't, what I fail to understand many times is the hostility. Um, yes. But let, let's let's keep it moving. You're at the front line with Joe and Joe. We are honored to have Father Ed Broom with us. We're discussing his new book, Compendium of Marian Devotions. It's an encyclopedia with everything you have to know about Mary, and that's out from Tan Books. Joe Resinello. Father, I want to <clears throat> circle back to uh, your comments regarding the National Geographic 2015 statement that Mary was the most powerful woman in the world. You know, uh, there was a movie out a while ago. It wasn't a Catholic movie. It was called The Nativity. But I thought they did a pretty good job. And there was something in it that really struck me. You know, it actually moved me almost to tears. was when the angel Gabriel went to Mary. She was such a humble person. And she makes her, you know, the annunciation that you will be, you know, the mother of God. And she just says her response was, I am nothing. And, like... God chose such a humble person. Like, I don't know if we could fully grasp that. I sometimes try to when I pray the rosary. I don't do it as often as I should. She was so humble. Yet she's the most powerful woman in the world. That's how God works. I think sometimes we don't think about that enough. Like, as, as Catholics, which, I mean, you're doing, you know, you're a priest, you, you're on the radio, you write books. Joe and I, we're family guys, we're trying our best, you know, like, tons of people out there. But we don't focus on the humility. And that's how God used, he used this woman who was nothing to be everything. Talk about that, because I think it's missed. Yes, good point. She's part of what, what is called the Anawim group, which means the poor of Yahweh. And what you're saying, I think it's really reflected in her Magnificat, the canticle of praise. Mary says, my soul does magnify the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior because he's looked upon the lowliness or the humility of his handmaid. All generations will call me blessed because the Almighty has done great things for me and holy is his name. So you see, uh, Joe, in the Magnificat, this beautiful hymn of praise that we say every night in Vespers as religious and priests, Mary is not drawing attention to herself. But rather, what Mary is doing, she's magnifying the Lord. And what humility is, Joe, is it's a humble recognition that all the good that we possibly can do comes from God. In other words, we attribute all the good we possibly can do to God himself. Therefore, the, the closer we get to Mary, Mary helps us to grow in humility. And God can 
God can use our humble dependence upon Him to do great things in our lives. I believe that the work that both of you are doing, your family men, but these programs you're doing, you're touching many, many, many souls. Many souls, uh, you're utilizing this platform to bring souls to the very heart of Jesus and Mary. So I, I really believe what you're doing is very pleasing to God. And I think both of you humbly admit that, you know, we're not Thomas Aquinas, we're not St. Augustine, we're not a John Paul II, but we're, we're using all the tools at our disposition to glorify God as best we possibly can. But I really like that. I mean, the greatest virtue of Mary is not her humility. The greatest virtue is her charity. No? That's the greatest of all virtues. But without humility, my friends, we really cannot, um, we can't grow in the spiritual life. It's the foundation of the spiritual life. The, the problem is, Father, is that let's keep it with America, okay, rather than the rest of the world. Humility is not a, not a, not a big uh, not a big thing right now that people strive. I think uh, let's uh, let's speak of the culture, not individual people. The culture itself, we exalt pride, mm -hmm. okay. Pride is to be exalted. Well, that's biblical. That's biblical. That goes back to Genesis, right. okay, because pride is the first sin. Um, and even before then that we know, like, because Satan says, as Lucifer, you know, no, no serviam, I will not serve. Right. Humility is not, not, you know, not really a, a big topic of discussion here in America. And again, that, that comes from people think Joe and I just bash people on the political left. The political right engages in the same thing. They talk about Christ. You hear a lot of people talking about Jesus. Okay. But if you ask them to let Jesus surrender yourself completely to Jesus, and I'm not saying that that's easy to do, to have that trust in the Lord, okay? However, it should be the goal. Your goal should be to humble yourself, not think you control everything, and let God work, not just as individuals, but also as a culture, as a society, and as a nation. If you're really concerned with all the mess that we're in right now, maybe you should take a little lesson from this conversation at the front line with Joe and Joe from Father Ed Broom when it comes to devoting yourself to Mary, uh, to, to go to Jesus through Mary. Uh, now, Father, I, I would love for you to comment on that and then piggyback also or segue from that into telling us how you composed the book because, you know, you compiled this book. It's an encyclopedia. It goes back to the early church. So if you want to comment on my comment and then talk to us about how you put the book together. Yes, I, I agree with you fully that um, the reigning virtue in our country is not humility, but there's just a lot of pride. And the pride comes about often because we walk away from God. We're arriving at a certain point in our country where people are just basically not acknowledging God as the very center of their lives. And that's why Mary and her Magnificat, Mary places God in the very center of her life. And the more you get close to Mary, Mary's, Mary's drawing us to Christ in a very, very gentle way, but a very powerful way. She draws us to the heart of Christ. Um, about the origin of the book, it actually took about five years to get it published for various reasons. Um, my original intention was to just to write about 20, 25 devotions on Mary. That was my intention. But um, I was working with 10 publishers, and um, my editor, uh, he died suddenly, uh, John Morehouse. He died very suddenly. He was only in his early 50s. And then I got another editor to work with me. His name was Brian. And um, Brian had a different perspective. He said, okay, Father Broom, find the devotions to Mary. But why don't we um, 
why don't we make this into more of an encyclopedia? So it was not my original intention. I just wanted to do Marian devotions. He said, well, why don't, why don't you, why don't you write, write uh, chapters on Marian dogmas? So I was able to write on the, the Marian dogmas, the, the Immaculate Conception, Perpetual Virginity, Divine Maternity, the Assumption. So I gave a, an analysis of that. Then he said, okay, fine. And I thought that, okay, we finished. And he said, no, why don't you also write on the approved Marian apparitions that you mentioned already? So we were able to, I was able to write on Our Lady Guadalupe, Fatima, and Lourdes, and the Miraculous Medal, too. Then he said, well, okay, we'll, we'll incorporate within this uh, classical, classical art. So they said, it's going to take a longer time because the paper and the artwork has to be done in Europe. So I said, okay, fine. And they said, well, why don't we end the book with a lot of a treasure of Marian prayers? So I said, fine. So the last part of the book, you've got these treasure of Mary prayers and novenas. So it's, it, it's interesting how it, how it turned out. The, my, my editor died suddenly, then it was given the hands of another man who had just a, a different vision of what should be done. And now, as you've mentioned already, it's, it's a compendium of Mariology. And the people, it's, it's, it's selling like hotcakes here in this, this part of the woods. But the people like it because um, my style of writing is my style of preaching. Even children can understand me. I speak in a very simple way. I tell stories and this and that. But also there's depth in it. So um, my, my, my hope and my desire in this is that people will really get to know Mary and be able to love Mary, imitate Mary, and then Mary's going to bring us to Christ. And we can live out what St. Paul says. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So that's the evolution of the, uh, of the book itself. I did not have that. The initial intent was Marian devotions, which is the heart of it. But it's expanded to Marian. Because they say, Joe, to have a good Mariology, you have to have the two Ds. It's like a... An olive garden salad. You have to have the salad, but you have to have the condiments too. You Italians, you know that, okay? You have to have the, the salad, but you have to have the condiments. So a, a good Mariology has to have both doctrine and devotion. Because doctrine without devotion can be very arid. It can be very dry. But devotion without doctrine can degenerate into sent, sentiment, sentimentality or sentimentalism. So I think there has to be a harmonious blend between the doctrine and the devotion. So that's basically the the origin and the evolution of of my book. Yes. Thank you. Thank you for that. Father Ed Broom is joining us here. And the book in question is Compendium of Marian Devotions and Encyclopedia of the Church's Prayers, Dogmas, Devotions, Sacramentals, and Feasts Honoring Our Lady, Honoring the Mother of God. Joe Racinello. Well, I want to talk about two of the dogmas, the Immaculate Conception and the Assumption, because I think that is a sticking point for some Protestants. I can remember having a conversation, uh, fathers from Ridgewood, New Jersey, I'm from uh, Bern County as well, my buddy Paul, who's from Mawa, we're on the train line going into the city, we went to college together, and he left the church, he's, he's now in, in a Protestant denomination, and we were talking about basically the Immaculate Conception. This is what he said. He basically said, why 
How could this woman be sinless? Because that would mean God didn't have to save her. Now, it poses an interesting question. I've read about it. You could probably articulate that a little bit better than I. But then you go to the assumption, which again is a dogma. The church spoke on that. The Pope spoke from the chair on that and basically said she was assumed into heaven because she was sinless. Sin causes death. That's why I will die, because I am a sinner. Um, talk about that, because I think if that's articulated well, that could help people to accept her who are outside the church. Yes, Joe. Uh, that was, uh, starting with the Immaculate Conception, that was... Uh, the dogma that was proclaimed in the year 1854 by Pope Pius IX, and he specifies that Mary was saved in preview of the merits of Christ. So Mary herself was redeemed by Christ, by his passion, death, and resurrection. Uh, but the privilege, the privilege of the Immaculate Conception is simply this. And to understand the Immaculate Conception, you have to understand the dogma of original sin. Otherwise, you're not going to understand the full intent of it. As a result of the sin of Adam and Eve, that's called original sin, all of us were conceived with original sin. All of us, except Jesus and Mary. So, with our conception, we have original sin. Baptism washes away original sin. But the effects of original sin stay with us. Aquinas calls it concupiscence. In Ignatian spirituality, it's called the capital sins, these bad tendencies or proclivities we have within us. Now, in the case of Mary, in the very moment of her conception, in her parents, the church, uh, the church gives the name of the parents, St. Anne and St. Joachim, where we celebrate July 26th. Right in the moment of her conception, God intervened, and the key word is preserved. Mary was preserved from the stain of original sin at the very moment of her conception. That's what the church teaches. And um, St. Thomas Aquinas, commenting on the Immaculate Conception, a little bit of Christology says that if Mary were conceived with original sin, if Christ were to come into the world, that means that his divine nature would be perfect, but his human nature would be tainted with original sin. And Aquinas says that that's an abomination to think that Christ is half holy and half sinful. So Aquinas uses the word convenience, which means convenient or necessary that Mary be the most pure channel so that Christ, her son, in his humanity would be spotless from the very moment of his conception also. I even like to quote um, William Wordsworth, who was a, an English poet, not even a Catholic. He says that Mary is our tainted nature's solitary boast. Man, I love that. This was a Protestant, no? Mary is our tainted nature's solitary boast. And, and Bishop Barron's in Bishop Barron's Catholicism series... That's the title of the of the segment on Mary. Okay. I, I didn't know where it came from, but when I first read that, I was like, wow. I didn't know if he came up with it, but now you just educated me, Father. It was William Wordsworth. Uh, Wordsworth. Yes. 
um, which is which is awesome to know. Well, we want, want to continue that conversation that Joe just asked you because he asked you about two dogmas of the church, but unfortunately we're on radio, or fortunately, however you look at it, but we're up against a, um, a break right here. So let's take a quick break at the front line with Joe and Joe. We are with Father Ed Broom, uh, very honored to be speaking with him about his new book, Compendium of Marian Devotions, an encyclopedia of the church's prayers, dogmas, devotions, sacramentals, and feasts honoring the Mother of God. That is available from Tan Books. Please buy the book from the publisher, from Tan Books. So you're with us at the Veritas Catholic Radio Network. We have another fantastic segment with Father Ed Broom discussing Our Lady. So don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Way in the breach, we're discussing Our Lady. Uh, specifically, Compendium of Marian Devotions. That's a new book out from Father Ed Broom, who's joining us here on the Veritas Catholic Radio Network. We encourage you all to go out and buy the book from the publisher, Tan Books. That's Tan Books. Now, uh, Father, could please continue. We were talking about Joe asked you um, about the Immaculate Conception, and uh, I believe, Joe, what else was? Uh, the assumption and the tie into the assumption. So oh, we sure. had to take a break, but Father, please continue. Right. We're talking now about the Marian dogmas, and the Marian dogmas would be the Immaculate Conception, her perpetual virginity, her divine maternity, and the last one would be Mary's assumption into heaven. Now, this uh, is the most recent dogma proclaimed, even though the, the apostles believed it, but the church intervened only 1950, actually. And it was Pope Pius Twelfth in his document, Munificentimus Deus, which would be the papal bull, proclaimed this is the last Marian dogma. Now what it means is this. At the end of Mary's earthly life, Mary was taken up into heaven in body and soul. So, in heaven right now, dogmatically, there are two that are in heaven in body and soul. Jesus, through his ascension, but he ascended by his own power, and Mary through the assumption. Now, uh, Joe is mentioning the fact that we eventually will die because as a result of original sin, that's one of the consequences of original sin, is that all, all humanity has to die sooner or later. Now, in the, in the course of Mary... Um, technically, Mary did not have to die. And Joe is mentioning that movie of uh, of um, the Blessed Mother by the Protestants. And one thing that they waffle on also is when Mary's bringing forth Christ, they show Mary often writhing in pain and suffering a lot. Uh, dogmatically, that's not true. Because Mary brought forth Jesus without losing her virginity, but also, Mary did not have pain at the birth of Christ. So, with, res with respect to the assumption, uh, Joe's, um, the church does not teach dogmatically if Mary died or was simply taken up to heaven. That, that's an open question. Most theologians, however, speak about what is called the Dormition of Mary, especially the Eastern Church. The Dormition, it basically means that Mary Mary basically went to sleep, then they buried her, and then, um, then Mary was taken up into heaven, body and soul, by the angels. So you can, you can believe that Mary didn't die, she was just taken up to heaven, body and soul, without dying. But also you can, you can accept the fact that Mary did pass from this life 
through through death. But she didn't die because of her own, because of original sin, but simply the theologian will say Mary wanted to imitate her son. Jesus died. Okay, Mary died also. So um, that's the assumption that we celebrate August 15th every year. And it's a just a beautiful, beautiful solemnity. One of the Marian solemnities, you're, you ask me in your questions, are there certain solemnities where we go to Mass and Holy Day of Obligation? Yes, the Immaculate Conception, the Assumption of Mary into Heaven, those are days. I don't even like to say Joe's Holy Day of Obligation, even though we say it, because I don't think we should be obliged. We should go willingly because we love Mary, mm-hmm. not that it's an obligation. We go because we love <laughs> Mary. So I've never really liked Absolutely. that terminology. You're, you're obliged to go. No, we go because we love her. <laughs> And Father, what, what, what bothers me, and yeah, it bothers me a little bit, okay? I listen to a lot of Protestant atheist debates, and I, I congratulate uh, the, the people like William Lane Craig. Uh, I think they do a really good job, okay? But they're, they usually try to provide some evidence for things. And I wanna, they, they look so incredulously at us when we talk about Mary's perpetual virginity or the assumption of Mary. I know William Lane Craig... Father Bishop Barron asked him about it. He made this face like, I, I don't believe it's impossible for, Ma- for Mary to be a, a perpetual virgin. You try to convince atheists of something that's physically impossible, a body rising from the dead. And you can't accept the idea that Mary physically was preserved in, his, in her virginity. I don't get it. And moreover, Scripture, like you said, Father, um, uh, in, the, in the Acts of the Apostles, uh, the author, obviously, we believe is Luke, or we know is Luke, okay, says, uh, at Pentecost, and the mother of Jesus was there, and Mary was there, okay? We know so much about what happened to all the apostles. We know where they died. In the case of St. John, we know that he did not, he was not um, killed, he was not, he was not martyred, but the rest of them were, we know where they are buried. Yet you're going to try to suggest that we wouldn't know that about Mary? It makes sense that God would assume her into heaven. And I would say to our Protestant brothers and sisters, if God would assume Elijah and Enoch into heaven, why wouldn't he assume his own mother? Now, I know that's a little bit of a rant, Father, but sometimes I want to say, dudes, listen, it's all plain right in front of your face. You just got a problem with Our Lady. And, and quite frankly, I had a good priest tell me one time, you just got to get over it. I mean, Father, am I being too harsh? Yeah, you know what you might even do at times with them is use this simple theology, and I'm sure both of you have heard these words before, latria, hyperdelia, protodelia, and dulia. Okay, latria means that we praise only God. We praise the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Dulia means we give veneration to the saints. But hyperdelia means we give the highest veneration of the Blessed Virgin Mary because they'll they'll level this charge against us that we're actually adoring Mary. But we're really not adoring Mary. We have the highest veneration to Mary, but we only praise and adore the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. So I think that you can use those technical theological words that are basically taken from Greek. No latria, we praise God. Hyperdelia, the highest veneration to Mary Protodulia would be given to St. Joseph, the first of all the saints. Then Dulia would be, we give to the saints. So, because you hear them, you Catholics, you're adoring, and then you've, you've heard this millions of times, you're, you're adoring statues and paintings. And here in my studio, I've got Our Lady Guadalupe in the background. And, and what I say is this, 
We're not adoring it. We love what it represents. Okay? And if you have a photo of your mother and your father in your home, in your home you, know, you can certainly say you're practicing idolatry. You've got a photo of your family portrait in your room. So in a certain sense, we can defend our Catholic faith by, we're not iconoclast. You remember that iconoclastic heresy was they tried to destroy all the icons in the time of St. John Damascene, and he said, no, we're not, we're not going to destroy these statues because we are body and soul. We arrive at the spiritual realm, as Aquinas says, through the perception, the use of the senses. So, um, yeah, um, this... This venom that sometimes is just spewing out of their mouths—it's—it's it's almost, it's almost scary because, as you point it, it, out, it Joe, it's—it's it's not just—it's anger. It's almost hatred, and it's kind of scary at times to see. Well, I, and that's the thing, Father, is that we're—we're we're, we're smart enough to be able to sense these things. Yes. And and sometimes you want to say, dudes, you know, you're you're kind of crossing the line a bit, little bit. But let's let let's move on from that. I will say this though, America could use a, a good, solid dose of Our Lady. America could use a, a, a 2023 version of Our Lady of Guadalupe. And I don't think that that goes, I, I, that, that's without question. So I want to hand it over to Joe Rosanello. For those of you who are just joining us, we have Father Ed Broom. We are discussing a, his book, Compendium of Marian Devotions, that's available at 10 books. Joe Rosanello. Uh, Father, I want to talk a little bit about the immaculate, uh, uh, the miraculous medal. Yes. I always found this it, it, to be very interesting. Catherine Labore brought this to the world. I saw a special on it on EWTN. It struck me. She was a very simple nun, yes. French. She, I believe, is a daughter of St. Vincent de Paul. Yes. She felt called to become a nun. Yes. She had a dream of Vincent, yes. St. Vincent. And she didn't know who it was. So she goes mm -hmm. to the comment. She sees a picture of him on the yeah. wall. And she's, that's the guy <laughs> who called me to come here. I find that to be amazing. Another thing I found to be amazing is Our Lady appears to her. I believe she was 24 years old. Um, she gets this, this request. But for 40 years, she didn't say a word. 40 years, she was a simple nun taking care of the elderly. And mm -hmm. only at the end of her life did she reveal that she saw the Blessed Mother. I find that to be amazing, actually. Talk about her, mm -hmm. the medal, and, and, and the efficacious like use of that to the world, because I don't think enough people know or basically look to that novena, because I think it's powerful. Yeah, Joe, you gave a really good summary of it, very good summary of it in a couple of minutes. Yes, yeah, she... Uh she was in the convent in Paris, and Rue de Bac is the name of the street. And uh, she was a novice. And fascinating thing about it is that she was in a room at night, and she had a visitor, and it was like a little child. It was an angel that woke her up. So the angel says, there's someone is waiting for you in the, in the chapel. So she dresses, gets up. She heads to the chapel there in the convent, and who's sitting there in the priest's chair was the Blessed Virgin Mary. And the Blessed Virgin Mary beckoned Mary to come closer to her. So she got closer and closer and closer. And she kneels down and she places her hands in the lap of the Blessed Virgin Mary. I think that's the only time in approved Marian apparitions where there's actually physical contact with Mary where she puts her hands in the lap. And then they talk. 
they talk for actually a couple hours. This was the first apparition. Then, in a subsequent apparition, you have Mary presenting to her the desire that the medal be made. And the medal has two parts. <clears throat> On the front, you have the words surrounding the medal, O Mary, conceive without sin, pray for us who have recourse to thee. Then you have Mary standing on the globe. She's standing on the head of the serpent, which is Genesis 3.15, the Proto-Evangelium. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and she will crush her head. Then you can see her hands are opened, and you can see these rays that are emanating from her hands. One of the hands, the, the, rays, the rays are actually shorter. And she was asked, what, what are those rays that are shorter? And a lady said, those are the many graces that people don't ask for. People should ask for more graces and I'll, and I'll give them. So then you turn the, you turn the medal around. And uh, I think that this is one of the best Marian catechesis that you can possibly have. You turn it around and you see on the back side there are 12 stars, which refers to Revelation chapter 12 which would be the woman of the apocalypse, and Mary as queen. And then you see, you can see a, a, a big cross, and below, below the cross you can see the letter M. And that, of course, refers to Mary who stood at the foot of the cross, and the theologians call Mary as the, the co-redemptrix that John Paul II mentions in Mater Redentoris. That Christ is the only Redeemer, but Mary collaborated in the redemption of the world by associating herself with the Passion of Christ on Good Friday. Then you can see in the in the back of the medal there are two hearts. There's a a heart that's uh, surrounded by thorns, which would be the, the sorrowful heart of Christ. Then there's another a heart that's that's pierced with the sword. And that would be Our Lady of Sorrows. And in my book, we, you also have a mention of uh, the seven sorrows of Mary, which is a beautiful devotion. That's why Maximilian Kolbe was one of the greatest Marian devotees. He, he founded the, the militia of the Immaculata, fighting against the Masons, which are really common in Europe as well as in Mexico back in um, the early 20th century. And Colby would actually carry the miraculous medals and he'd actually call them his spiritual ammunition, his spiritual bullets. And he'd be given these medals to many people and he believed so much that the, it's not so much the medal that works the, the miracle, but it's the trust and the intercession of Mary. Otherwise it can become a superstition. So um, I, I love this devotion of of the... Uh, the miraculous medal. The technical name for it is the medal of the Immaculate Conception. But given that so many miracles have been attributed to it, in common use it's called the miraculous medal. So, uh, yeah, I, 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 I just I, I love that devotion. And I, I, you gave a really good two-minute summary of this. Uh, yeah, what you said, she had the vision of this man. Then when she came in the convent, she saw a picture of him. That's the guy I saw in the dream, and it happened to be St. Vincent de Paul that you mentioned. No, it's amazing. <laughs> it is amazing. It is a, it's, a, it's a great story, yes. 
Well, Father, let's talk about another devotion, okay? Um, now, God bless the old ladies in church, yes. okay? Uh, because they are constantly praying the rosary. When I go to confession here, uh, usually on a Friday morning after confession, um, or while I'm waiting online, I can hear them all in the, in the church, uh, a group of them praying the rosary, okay? The, the, the popular misconception is that the rosary is for old ladies, okay? Yeah, Joe Racinello, when I was there, I joined him, uh, but Joe Racinello has a group of men that get together once a month for Saturdays, all right, different churches in uh, Bergen County. Um, I have had the honor of joining men's, uh, group, men's group here uh, in Arizona, Jesse Romero and, and others praying the rosary. Rosary is not just for old ladies. In fact, if, you're in the, if you recognize the spiritual battle, some people call it a culture war. We, we call it that, but we also know that at its heart, it's a spiritual battle that we're going through, okay? You pick it up. You pick up that rosary, okay? Padre Pio called it the weapon. Um, so we'd like for you to just let our audience know, number one, 500 years or so, correct me if I'm wrong, before the Protestant revolt, okay, Catholics prayed the rosary because Our Lady gave it to a particular saint. If you want to pick it up from there, Father. Yeah, so it was basically St. Dominic that was uh, the saint that Our Lady uh, encouraged him to promote the rosary. This is back in the year 1200. But around the year 1570, you had the famous uh, Battle of Lepanto, which was the naval battle between the Muslims and the Catholics. And uh, St. Pope Pius V was a pope then, who was, who was a Dominican. And the Catholics had a very weak navy, and the, the Muslims had a very strong navy, the strongest navy in the world. So they, they met in, in this place called Lepanto. The Catholics at first, they were losing the battle. So St. Pope Pius V said, hey, we've got to pray the rosary. So the people, many people prayed the rosary with the Pope, and there was a change of the winds there in Lepanto, and what happened was the, the Catholics actually conquered it by capturing the admiral, who was the, the head of the Muslim fleet. They captured him, and then the Muslims were thrown into confusion, and the Catholics won the battle. Now, think about this. If the Muslims were to have won, they would have entered into Rome, they would have captured the Pope, they would have entered their horses and buggies into St. Peter's Basilica, they would have turned the major basilicas into mosques, and like both of you, I have European blood, 99%, I'd be a Muslim now, because they would have changed the whole world, starting with Rome, into the seat of uh, Islamism would be Rome. So that victory came about because of the praying of the rosary. And Pope Pius V uh, got the people to pray the rosary. Later on, we have a Marian feast day, which is October 7th, which happens to be Our Lady of the Rosary, which is a lady of the Rosary of the Victory in that battle. So that's the whole origin of the feast day of Our Lady of the Rosary, the victory over the, the, the Muslims when was the Christian. But it was a Rosary victory. And you said, Padre Pia calls it my weapon. It is. It's, it's a spiritual weapon. We are 
fighting against the devil, the flesh, and the world, and so many different enemies today, we have to use that very powerful weapon. And well, Father, I, I want I want you, I'm sorry to cut you off, I just want you to explain a little bit, because some people think that it's just a matter of reciting the prayers, okay? I would say, if you're if you're a Bible person, okay, if you're a scripture guy, and we're Catholic, we're scripture people, okay, um, the devotion itself, the prayers of the rosary, it calls on you to reflect on the Gospels, on the different days, the different mysteries. Please tell our audience, for those who don't yes. know, many know, but some don't. We might have a Protestant in our audience that don't understand. We are praying the mysteries, okay? And the mysteries come directly from the Gospel. Please, Father, elaborate on that. That's a great question. Technically, you can go through the 20 mysteries of the Rosary. You can find them in the Bible, okay? The joyful mysteries, as we mentioned earlier, you can find in Luke chapter 1 and 2. Those two chapters. Now, the sorrowful mysteries you can find in Matthew chapter 26 and 27, where you have the passion accounts. The luminous mysteries, the, the baptism of our Lord, you can find in Mark chapter 1. The wedding feast of Cana, you can find in, in John chapter 2, verse 1 to 12. The proclamation of the kingdom, you can find in Mark chapter 1, 15. Be converted and the kingdom of God is at hand. But also the proclamation of the kingdom is the Sermon on the Mount, which is Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. Transfiguration, Matthew chapter 17. And then, with respect to the institution of the Eucharist, you've got John chapter 6, where Jesus gives what is called the Bread of Life Discourse. Then the institution that you find in Matthew chapter 26, verse 26 to 28. And then the the Glorious Mysteries, the Resurrection, you can find in the last chapter of all the Gospels. The Ascension, you find in Acts chapter 1. The Coming of the Holy Spirit, Acts chapter 2. Now, the, the Assumption and the Crowning is Revelation chapter 12, verse 1. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon underneath her feet. and the So, so I, in, in, in four minutes, I've given, I've given you where you can find all the 20 mysteries of the rosary in the Bible. So I like your point. It's not simply a pious devotion of old ladies, but rather it's a biblical prayer. It's based on the Word of God. So Protestants... Well, Father, fa yes. well, Father we, we, we probably only have time for one more question, but I want to say this. I know, I know that that prayer, it, it means something. I know in my heart because the devil is always trying to distract. Now, I'm, I get distracted myself because I've got quasi-ADD, okay? But it doesn't help that, that the evil one tries to distract me because I, I have to struggle sometimes to, to get back to contemplating the, 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 you know, that, that, whether it be the, the Annunciation or the Visitation or whichever, whatever I'm focusing on. Um, and I know that it, it's true and it's efficacious because I'm constantly being distracted. Well, but I did want you, and I'm happy that you mentioned um, that to our audience, because I think that's a common misconception yeah. is that it's just counting beads. No, no, no. We're reflecting on the gospel, and that, that's the main thing to know. One short comment on that, Joe, is um, St. Alphonsus Liguri, who wrote The Glories of Mary, who loved the rosary, this lady comes up to him and says, Every time I pray the rosary, I have all these temptations. St. Alphonsus says, that's a good sign the devil's angry at you. 
So it's and, true. And, and yeah. I didn't know that, Father. That's exactly that's yeah. exactly my yeah. point. Joe Resinello, we probably have time for one more question. I'm going to hand it over to you. Father, in La Crosse, Wisconsin, Cardinal Burke uh, had a shrine built to Our Lady of Guadalupe. It's a place I, I always wanted to go. I hope to go there one day with my family. Um, I look to Our Lady of Guadalupe because the story is amazing. She converted Mexico. She converted Mexico in a short amount of time. Basically, a people that were engaging in humans, not all Mexicans, please don't misunderstand me, but uh, the Indians participated with human sacrifice. They killed people. This is not, I'm not making this up. This is historic. Our Lady came, the population converts, um, something the Spaniards could not do. I look to her because I see what's going on in our country, Father. It's like a ball rolling down the hill. It's out of control. I don't think we can fix it. Father, I, I don't think humans can fix it. We're, we're, we're engaging in things and we're participating in things that are becoming legal. Abortion. Same-sex marriage. Euthanasia. It's out of control. Yeah. And I think Our Lady is the only one that could help us. I really believe that. And talk to that a little bit, because I'll be truthful with you. I, I think sometimes me, I focus on what I can do. I can do nothing. I have to give it to Our Lady. Yes. Um, about six or seven years ago, there's a woman that wrote a book called The Marrying Option. And this marrying option is related to the Benedictine option, where St. Benedict, many years ago, he was living in Rome, which was very corrupt. He left Rome, he went to Subiaco, and then he went to Monte Cassino. And he founded, of course, the Benedictine order. So he sought refuge in prayer and penance and contemplation. Marrying option is this. I agree with you, Joe. We have to find refuge in Mary. She said uh, in Fatima, in the end, my immaculate heart will triumph. The example I'd like to give is this. We're living in tough times. So did Noah. How was Noah saved? He went into the ark with his wife, his uh, sons, the daughter-in-laws, and the, and the animals. Only those who were present in the, the ark in the time of Noah, they were saved from the deluge. So, in a certain sense, this is one of, this is Marian typology or symbolism. The modern ark of Noah is the, the heart of Jesus and the heart of Mary. So I believe in what you're saying, now more than ever, we have to seek refuge in the Immaculate Heart of Mary. And as the other Joe said, we got to pray that rosary. That rosary is going to be that's going to be, it's a, it's a spiritual weapon. Remember David against Goliath. How could David possibly beat Goliath? He just had a couple of stones. This huge giant with so much experience with a crescent sword, he's going to cut his head off. He had one stone with a slingshot. He aimed it, riveted in the head of the giant. He fell to the ground. He cut his head off. I think we're surrounded by many Goliaths today in the modern world, as you said. Abortion, euthanasia, same-sex marriages, materialism, consumerism, agnosticism, atheism. We're surrounded by all these spiritual giants. But God can use, the, as you mentioned earlier, the humility of Mary. 
and your holiness can overcome all of these moral giants that are surrounding us today. Father Ed Broom, we're going to probably have to leave it there. I do want to say this, though. You both mentioned two things that I had in my head throughout this. What, and the thought I had was, Mary moves history. And you both gave two fantastic examples, one of which was the Battle of Lepanto, where, yes, European Western civilization comes to an end without that victory at Lepanto. And Joe mentioned Guadalupe, the conversion of an entire nation that was so deep in depravity, like the Canaanites. Okay, um, and Mary's appearance changed Mexico. Unfortunately, they seem to be the pigs going back to the vomit, um, uh, you know, because Mexico is not in good shape right now. But there are many good people there, and Mexico was changed because of our lane. And that's just two examples. Okay, Father, we have to leave it there. Father, what do you have on the plate right now? What do you got coming out? Uh, right now, I'm basically trying to really promote this this book. I've got a series of talks I'm giving five Sundays in a row, really trying to promote this. And I have another book, was Consecration to Mary Through the Mission of the Roses. So I'm going from parish to parish, trying to get people to consecrate themselves to the Blessed Virgin Mary. So I ask you to humbly pray for me, pray for my ministry, that all of us will try to promote Mary, and we will, we will magnify the Lord by proclaiming the greatness of Mary. Absolutely. Father Ed Broom, thank you so much for joining us at the front line with Joe and Joe. Will you encourage all of our audience members, go out and buy the book at Tan Books, Compendium of Marian Devotions, an Encyclopedia of the Church's Prayers, Dogmas, Devotions, Sacramentals, and Feasts, Honoring the Mother of God. Father, thank you so much for coming on the show. You're welcome back here anytime. God bless you. Thank you so much, Joe. Thank you so much. Thank you, and thank you all out there at the, uh, at the Veritas Catholic.